Let us pray. O Lord, open our hearts and our minds to what you are saying to us in your word today. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts, may they be acceptable in your sight. For you, O Lord, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Most Sundays I preach a sermon about a story in the Bible or a lesson, Uh, but from time to time I love preaching on a psalm. The psalms are some of the oldest material in the Bible, and the, the psalms are also considered mostly to be the prayers of the people who lived in those days. And so this is some of the most uh, direct experience we have of the faith of the biblical authors. One of you sent me an article last week that was about the subject of living in the present. Living in the present is a hot topic these days. People talk about living in the present through the use of yoga or mindfulness or meditation Other people are interested in questions about meaning. They talk about things like, how do I live with a greater sense of purpose? How do I make the most of time with my parents or with my children? In the midst of the hurried and over-programmed lives, many of us are living, books and articles are being written every day about living in the present. The author of the article I was sent this week, Kieran Setia, is a professor of philosophy at MIT. He looks at this idea of living in the present through the eyes of Aristotle and a concept from the ancient Greeks, a principle that separates all of our human actions into two kinds. On the one hand, there are telic activities. Telic, a word that comes from the word telos in Greek, which means end or purpose. These are activities that have a goal and an end. Whether you're driving home, reading an article, or painting a fence, all of these things can be accomplished. Once that goal is accomplished, the activity is over. You can repeat it, but at least for now, it's an end. It is at an end. And on the other hand, there are atelic activities. These things do not have an end point. They cannot be finished, nor can they be considered incomplete if you don't finish them. Spending time with family or reflecting on one's own life are atelic activities. So might be enjoying a walk in the woods, or experiencing art or music. Atelic activities are not oriented toward completion, and you can't remove them from your to-do list. In the article, Setia warns readers not to commend one of these types of activity and devalue the other. Both are important, and both lead to a sense of purpose in our lives. A lot of conversations about living in the presence tend to glorify the atelic activities, meditation, quality time with others. 
but telic activities are important also. Accomplishments do contribute to our sense of purpose, especially if your tasks align with your values. Actions matter, and so did their consequences. So the Greeks distinguished between these two different kinds of activities, but they thought both of them were worthwhile. The Bible makes a contribution of its own to a conversation like this. Whether you're thinking about telic or atelic activities, we believe that our actions should be a reflection of our beliefs. John Calvin, the father of Presbyterian theology, played a large part in returning Christians to the idea that a whole Christian life should be shaped by faith, not just the things you do at church. Faith is not just for times of prayer and reflection, but should shape everything that you do. We make choices in the midst of our telic, goal-oriented days, and those choices should align with our values. And whether our current activity is a goal-oriented one or not, we should treat the people we encounter with love and respect, because the Bible commands us to love one another as God loved us first. So all that kind of talk about God-centered living sounds good, but I will admit I find it to be a little bit vague. Really, what is it that we are supposed to do? What does it look like to live a God-centered life over the course of an average day? Well, let's consider an example. Think about the start to an average day. We get up, get dressed, fix the coffee and breakfast, go to work, wave at a friend across the hall, turn on the computer, start the work day. Normal stuff. Unfortunately, most of us know what it's like to have the same set of events happen in your life when you are completely consumed by something negative. Imagine that you're really mad at your boss or your spouse. Imagine that you're genuinely worried, scared about something that is happening with one of your children or an aging parent. Imagine that you're angry about a political situation or something going on in your neighborhood. Maybe you're upset at yourself. Maybe you made a mistake and you can't stop replaying the situation in your mind, wishing that you had done it differently. When you are completely absorbed by something like this, it has an influence on everything that you do. Think again about that series of morning events. With something negative impacting your life, you wake up unsettled because you probably didn't sleep very well. You get dressed and nothing seems to fit quite right or look quite the way that you want it to. Maybe you grab mismatched socks because you're not really paying attention. You don't tell your spouse good morning or say anything affirming to them to start their day off on the right foot. In fact, you might pick a fight about something that doesn't really matter. At breakfast, you waste a bowl of cereal because you pour orange juice on it instead of milk. Incidentally, if you've never tried it, 
That's disgusting. <laughs> and I know that because my grandfather used to do it on purpose. When you're distracted, though, by these negative thoughts, you do things like that and also things that are more serious. You take off to work in your car and you put yourself at greater risk for an accident. You may give a passing wave to the person in the office across the hall, but you completely forget that she got married over the weekend or that the guy in the next office got back biopsy results the night before. You turn on the computer, which doesn't start up fast enough for you, and by the time you see that first email or phone call pop up, you're all set to be an unpleasant colleague all day long. Now, to be fair, everybody has a bad day. And some of this cannot be avoided, and thankfully, our good friends often see when we're having a bad day, and they know and understand. And I use this illustration not to suggest that you should always be in a good mood, for none of us are. But I tell you this illustration to remind us of the far-reaching impact it has when our whole lives are being lived through the lens of something negative. Now, can you imagine what it would be like if you could be equally overwhelmed by something good? What if your whole life, telic and atelic activities alike, everyday tasks, responses to other people you encounter, your whole attitude, what if it were shaped by a spirit of peace and love by a spirit of confidence, knowing that God is going to take care of you, whatever comes along. This is what Christians are supposed to strive for. And if it seems like it would be difficult to get there, well, it is, and it always has been. And for that reason, there is a storyline that repeats over and over and over again in the Bible. God does amazing things in the life of the people of Israel, and the people of Israel keep forgetting and try to live their lives without thinking about God. This is a problem in the Bible. It repeats over and over again. People need help with this, and so God provides an answer. God says to them, if you would just remember me, Remember the things that I've done for you in the past. If you would just do that, life would be so much more comforting and things would go so much better for you. One of these passages occurs at the end of the book of Acts. It says, For this people's heart has grown dull, and their ears are hard of hearing, and they have shut their eyes so that they may not look with their eyes and listen with their ears. But what if they would... Look with their eyes and listen with their ears and understand with their heart and turn to me and I would heal them. God wants us to see life through the lens of faith so that God can offer us healing and help life to be a little more manageable. 
God says this happens when we remember God's love for us. And this is why there are so many passages of Scripture that sound a lot like the one that we read today in Psalm 105. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, call on his name, make known his deeds among the peoples, sing to him, sing praises to him, tell of all his wonderful works. Glory in his holy name, let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Seek the Lord and his strength, seek his presence continually. Remember the wonderful works he has done his miracles and the judgments he has uttered. O offspring of his servant Abraham, children of Jacob, his holy ones, remember. The psalm goes on at length to remember amazing things that God did in Israel, in the lives of Jacob and Joseph, Moses and Abraham, ways that God kept the faith so that we know God can be relied upon. Many times passages of Scripture that sound like this seem unnecessary to us. Yeah, we think, I heard those stories from Genesis and Exodus when I was in Sunday school. Why do I have to hear them again in psalm readings every Sunday? The reason is very simple, because we forget We forget what God has done for us. It's harder to remember and acknowledge those things in the present. And we can all benefit from these life-giving thoughts about the power and care of God shaping our approach to daily life. We need help seeing life through the lens of faith. And the problem is that we always seem to forget about God and about the things that God has done in the past God wants to convince us that these good things are ours, not just in the past, but also in the present. And so these psalms remind us to remember. It's an act of remembering the past in order to shape the present. Biblical scholar Walter Brueggemann says that in psalms like this, Israel learns that the truth of its life consists not in security and achievement and power, but in miracles remembered, in promises trusted, and in futures given that are beyond our own invention. Israel rereads its past and its future and is liberated for a different kind of present. This idea does not deny that there is pain in remembering the past. Our lives are not just filled with happy memories. But I find time and time again that when people tell me about the difficult times in their past, they can usually see how God was at work there to see them through difficult times. It's easier for us to see God at work in the past. The challenge is to remember those things when the present is difficult. Remembering the good things God has done for us has a range of good impacts on the way that we live. 
being overcome with gratitude for what God has done, we get a chance to embrace those atelic activities, those things that create meaning in our lives. A conversation with a parent, the chance to play a game with a child, the chance to enjoy a hike, say a prayer, be a good listener to someone else who may be struggling. Remembering God shapes telic activities too. It means that the chance to approach our daily grind with more gratitude is there. We have a chance to accept problems that arise more like challenges to embrace. To find ways to give back and act generously to improve the life of someone else. Because we remember how much we are blessed. And perhaps most of all, Remembering the things that God has done for us is a gateway to loving and accepting ourselves a little more because we remember that God loves us. So we can feel a real sense of forgiveness for past mistakes and a sense of God's grace and openness as we receive the present day and hope for the future. Want to do a better job of living in the present? God says, remember where I've been in the past.